Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. G'day and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 3rd of August. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today, Ben Clark from TMS Capital, and Joshua Barker from Macro Capital. Welcome to both of you guys. Good to be here. Interesting what we're seeing on the markets. Of course, we saw that heavy sell-off yesterday. Uh, that's splitting into today at the mm-hmm. same time. Ben, healthy pullback? Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, we've had a very strong run this year. It feels like there's been a long time since a pullback. So I think, you know, pullbacks on the way are healthy. I'm, I'm still pretty bullish. I think we're well and truly into a bull market now and um, it keeps going into the end of the year but you need these little washouts every now and again to um, to clean out some froth and um, that's a healthy thing so obviously I think over the next like three weeks it's going to there's going to be a lot of individual stocks really moving around regardless of what the market does based on their results so uh, that, uh, that, that'll be the bigger thing going forward. Yeah, interesting on that point there, Josh, how does this set up for local reporting season given we are seeing this, this pullback at the moment? Yeah, I think it's still okay. We obviously had a, a negative lead from Wall Street last night, but um, futures are pointing up and I, I don't think I've seen something um, in the markets so heavily criticised one way as I guess that downgrade from Fitch came. So, you know, usually there's arguments for and against and, and that's kind of been the tail of the market for the last 12 months. but. Um, yeah, everyone thinks that that was uh, uh, unnecessary um, downgrade and sort of no relevance on the market. So I'd expect a pretty pretty uh, swift um, bounce out of those uh, lows for the market. And uh, yeah, bodes well for the ASX just to kick on and hopefully be a good reporting season. But yeah, like Ben said, there will be a lot of movement on a company individual level. All right. Well, speaking of reporting season, we are getting some uh, results in already uh, as we get going. Uh, Before we get to that, let's just preview what we're going to take a look at in the first half of the show. The stocks, Harvey Norman, Adairs, Big River Industries, Lifestyle Communities and Pacific Edge. Our stock of the day is Janice Henderson Group, the company announcing their second quarter results this morning, uh, operating income 117 million US dollars compared with 100 million in the first quarter. Uh, assets under management increasing by 4% to $322 billion. And uh, just observing some comments there from the chief executive saying he's very pleased with the progress towards uh, organic growth, saying that we continue to deliver quarterly results. Investment for performance is solid and we're generating substantial cash flow and have a strong and stable balance sheet. Uh, Josh, how do you look at Janice Henderson then? And I guess we can also look at more broadly just, you know, it has been difficult, obviously, for some of these investment managers. Yeah, I think um, this one, the report seems seems quite positive. Um, they've 
had one of the best quarters that they've um, you know really had over the last few years. They have credit and equity funds, so I think in terms of the type of exposure, that's that's a really good place to be. A um, couple of the stocks today have that credit fund exposure, so maybe it's a theme I'll touch on a couple of times. But uh, I think that's definitely preferable with this high interest rate environment to just a pure equity fund manager. Um, so I think that uh, yeah, I guess couple of things that are working for and against it. Um, a lot of uh, 65%, 64% of their assets have outperformed the benchmarks. Um, however, they're not getting those performance fees on their balance sheets. So um, yeah, it's, I guess, comes down to allocation size and they haven't really been able to rake in those performance fees, but the fund's still coming in. So um, yeah, this one looks good. I think if you're after something that is a fund manager, this would be close to top of your list. Um, just yeah, given that exposure and the company just sort of growing that organic exposure. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, Janice would be a hold, uh, maybe look to accumulate if you, if you like the space. Yeah, okay. Any other fund managers in that space that you're actually finding attractive at the moment? Uh, slightly different to a fund manager, but similar thematic would be MA Financial. Um, we find they're good value at the moment, very strong performer. They have a lot of exposure to that, that credit fund as well. Yep. Okay. Ben, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's not one I've had a look at for years and um, it's it's been a very topsy-turvy sort of business. It's, I, I guess I classify this as more of a trading stock. Um, uh, I think generally fund managers are really struggling and they have for a while and there's, there's real structural headwinds I think that a lot of them are facing at the moment and um, although Janice seemed to have grow, grown its, its fund and its revenue it still had net outflows, mm. uh, only minor, very small. So um, they actually seem like they're probably doing a lot better than most, to be honest. Uh, um, as Josh said, you know, there's a good diversification there in terms of the, how they manage money and which markets they're in. So that does take some risk out of the book. Uh, but I, like, I'd be a bit wary of it. Um, Pinnacles one, they, they reported after close last night. Mm. I listened to them present this morning and. Um, that, you know, it's, it's similar issues, you know, that, that there's real structural um, headwinds on, on active funds management at the moment. And it's hard to see really, to be honest, what's going to slow it down. So I'd just be a bit cautious. I've got to be a hold. A hold? Yeah. Yeah, cautious. It looks, it looks reasonably priced and that they are growing the top line and the bottom line. So that's better than what most are doing out there. All right, but it sounds then it's pretty much a sector you're happy to um, avoid, if you like, at this point. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Like, that, I don't know of a lot of fund managers with net inflows at the moment. Mm. I, I think it is um, a struggle. The markets, I think, have wrong-footed a lot of people, you know, where the, the narrative even three months ago, but certainly the start of the year, was avoid growth and rising rate environment, and it's completely... Um, it's completely um, uh, wrong-footed, I think, a lot of managers in that growth has actually been the best place to be this year, which is really counterintuitive. Mm. So we've got Apple and Amazon reporting yep. tomorrow morning, and that's going to be a big moment, I think, for US markets, but also for what these growth businesses are doing in the short term. Absolutely. All right. That is our stock of the day. Let's get into the ones as picked by you then. The first one is Harvey Norman, the retailer. And of course, uh, given that uh, spending is uh, consumer spending is falling at the moment, these retail stocks are under pressure with demand weakness and it's uh, pressure on margins at the same time. So Ben, um, how do you look at this sector given 
those pressures and you know how does Harvey Norman rate among those retailers then? Yeah it's a it's an area that's really I think got a lot of eyes on it because I think there's screaming value in a lot of names and we've seen like if you look at baby bunting what how they reported um, a couple few days ago they're up like 20 percent on the back of it so I think you're going to see some really wild erratic moves on the on on these results now Harvey Norman has pre-reported so there shouldn't be too much of that when their result actually does land because they've given the market a heads up of where it is going to land. Um, it's not pretty, uh, which isn't surprising. So that their, their earnings are going to be down about 30 odd percent on last year. Um, and they've said that that actually accelerated, that decline accelerated particularly, and a lot of retailers have said this from March sort of April onwards. Um, we know that, you know, they're kind of at that um, they've got that nasty exposure to what's going on with mortgages um, and, and the housing market. However, Harvey Norman have got an incredibly good property portfolio. It, it, you're nearly not paying much for the business at these levels if you believe the valuations of the property. I say if because there have been a lot of complaints amongst fundies about fairly murky accounting issues with Harvey Norman and the way that um, some of the things go through the accounts. I think there is some scepticism about the valuations of the um, of some of the properties, but you know there is no doubt there's like four billion odd dollars of property on balance sheet net uh, after taking into account debt, and so for that reason I'm going to go a hold. It's trading on like twelve times five. 0.6% fully frank forward yield. So that's not overly expensive. You know, I expect those sales will decline, but I think it's kind of backstopped now by the property stuff. Aside from Harvey Norman then, what what are you liking? Uh, retail's tricky. I, I, for me, it's just an avoidance. Well, well, I mean, you're saying that now it's starting to scrape some value there. Yeah. But, but now is still not the time? Uh, look, I, if I was buying, if I was singling out a couple, it would be uh, Premier Investments, mm. uh, JB Hi-Fi and Nick Scarly. Just because I think retail, maybe LaVisa as well. I think, I think look, and Breville Group, actually, there's a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. But I, I, they're, they're, to me, best in class management teams. And I think that's so important in retail is you, you've got to have like guys who can really manage the cycles. And we're in a downturn for pretty much every business. Mm. Um, the market's not unaware of that. It's like beating these share prices down. So there's there's things out there, but you probably, for me, this, this is an area where you want to see the result, have a good think about it, and then make a decision based on the numbers. All right, Josh? Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made for some of these retail stocks being oversold and therefore presenting good value. Um, you know, I was pretty bearish on the retail recession um, six odd months ago. And, you know, retail sales are still coming in um, negative. So on Friday, had a massive decline where it was meant to be flat. Um, I think Harvey Norman doesn't rate too highly on our list um, for starting to very maybe slowly dip your toes in that water, maybe using reporting season as um, a way to bet against um, the, the oversoldness of these companies and you know get that surprise on report that maybe the news isn't as bad as, as, as what you think. Uh, but I just think, yeah, Harvey Norman um, did sell off last report, uh, about 10% on the back of that. Uh, it's actually the last company on the ASX to report, so it comes in on the 31st of July, uh, sorry, August. So um, yeah, a little bit higher risk in terms of report. I've seen a few quarterlies um, that come in very late in the in the month um, get sold off quite aggressively 
couple of companies that um, weren't able to get their books ready in time and had to you know go into a trading halt on the last day of the month and then come out with a pretty shonky announcement the next couple of days. So I think there's a slight risk with that. Um, I think there's other money to be made throughout reporting season, especially in those beat up retail stocks. So yeah, avoid, um, would, wouldn't buy it, um, potentially look to sell it. I think if you're gonna be active at any time of the year, it's throughout reporting season and, and you're happy to bet on your stock picks and you know surprising the market. So I'd be happy to move out of Harvey Norman for the time being and, and look at those, some of those other retailers. All right, would that be Adairs? Let's stay in the retail yeah. space. Uh, so that is that is in fact our next uh, stock. Let's take a look at this one. Uh, it uh, in fact uh, downgraded sales and profit guidance for FY23. It's seeing, well, as we well know, a lot of traffic in both stores and also online in this sort of home goods, bedlin and that space that it operates in. So how do you rate the dares then? I think a, a lot higher up the list. Um, so Adairs is obviously more of a specialty, um, you know, really strong performing business. It's got a history of uh, reporting quite well. Um, obviously, in a, in a, you know, it let's ignore the last couple of years um, where it's had really skewed sort of upside and downside. Um, prior to COVID, it was a really strong performer, relatively low volume. So if this does beat expectations, um, you'll, you'll see sort of uh, a lack of sellers in the market and buyers have to bid this stock up quite well. So it's one that we've used in the past for reporting season. And I think given uh, the value that it's sort of providing at the moment, I think it is a, a good buying opportunity. Um, again, you know, sort of a bit of an overreaction potentially to the downside. Um, you know, their numbers are okay and, and looking to improve in the second half of this year. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer this one for a reporting season play. So I'd have a buy on Adairs at the moment. A buy. Okay. okay. Well, there, there's, we got one right in the retail sector there. Uh, ben, would you agree with that? No, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go sell. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. I Look, the thing that worries me of this business, and it's not just like, this business, it's retailing in general, is there's a lot of operating leverage in retail businesses. So they've got very high fixed cost bases and that's mainly lease, the lease expenses are the big thing. Um, and you know, you've got your staffing costs and those sort of things. None of that's getting any cheaper. The costs of turning on the lights and powering your stores, all those things, there's a lot of cost pressures. And if you look at that downgrade that they had just leading into their result, um, what they said was that um, they're expecting revenue to drop about 4% and they reduced their EBIT guidance by 20% on the back of that. And that just highlights like these are great businesses to own when everything's going their way because small incremental increases in revenue can equal quite large increases in, um, in earnings, but it goes the other way as well. You, mm. You've got that negative operating leverage. So um, I also like just think in a much quieter housing market environment, which has held up okay. And I actually think the consumer is doing better than most people in Australia give it credit for. You listen to Credit Corp's result, they were saying the consumer's in great shape still. So not expecting um, things to go off a cliff, but I just think there's going to be more weakness. And with a business like this, you're going to get that negative operating leverage. It looks cheap, like it's on 10 times forward. 6% gross yield. So once um, again, the market's not against it, unaware of all of these things, but um, I wouldn't be there. Okay. Well, there is a diverse opinion right there, just as far as Dares is concerned. 
All right, let's uh, move on to Big River Industries. I don't think I've ever covered this one, so I'd be interested to see if you guys have. Um, it is a manufacturer distributor of timber and building products. And well, interesting where we're at just as far as construction, particularly locally, is concerned. Uh, housing approvals, a bit of a, a sharp reversal there, given uh, what we've seen, particularly with interest rates. Uh, longer term though, we've got to balance, you know, that. Uh, that supply shortage given rising demand and you have to look at the immigration rate in Australia to see what is needed in the housing sector. But um, given we, where we are in the economic cycle, Ben, how would you rate Big River Industries? Yeah, look, I'd never heard of this one, Andrew, either. So yep. um, it's it was a first for me to look at. I was actually, apparently, it's been around for about a century. It has. Yeah. Uh, listed for six years, but family owned for 100. Mm. Um, it's actually a really interesting looking business. Um, when I, I mean, look, I spent a minimal amount of time, but um, it's got, I would say, a really good share register. There's some. This is a micro cap, and it's got some really good micro cap managers with big positions in it on the register. Um, so... That always makes me look a bit harder at things. And uh, so these guys, like they manufacture a lot of the timber and wood panelling and all the things that are used in resi construction, commercial fit outs, those sort of things. And um, uh, that would feel like it's not a place you want to be at the moment. But again, on valuation, it's trading on eight times forward earnings and a 7% fully frank dividend yield. If you look at how they've gone since they floated through a lot of ups and downs in this industry, um, they've actually grown their earnings per share quite reasonably and consistently whilst on the market. Um, they've given a, um, a presentation uh, fairly recently, so you sort of think if there's bad news coming, that would have been the time they would have put it out there, so it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. Um, I'm going to go buy just to, um, you know, without having done too much work on it. Um, it's a founder-led business, which we always like to see. And it looks very cheap for a business that's actually quietly chugging away. All right. Interesting. Josh, had you looked at this one before? Um, not not in depth, no. Right. Um, so we, we're sort of keeping an eye. And we like the exposure. We, we definitely like the exposure to um, Aussie housing and building um, projects. We do definitely prefer sort of the Borrell, uh, CSR, James Hardy, uh, that end of the market. Um, but yeah, no, look, it looks like a, a, a really strong business. Last year, revenues were up 20%, earnings up 30 uh, I think since they've been on market, they've reported increasing revenues and earnings each time. So yeah, it could be a good report coming. Um, they have had some projects delays due to labour constraints. That's a pretty common thing in the industry at the moment, not enough workers in the construction industry. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, they have had a bit of a you know difficult run with with prices and and the volatility that's been going on there with the building product input. So uh, one sort of uh, red flag at the moment um, is they're about uh, as has been mentioned, fairly small company. It's about 200 mil market cap, and they have been paying out a lot of yield lately over the last 12 to 18 months. So maybe a suggestion that the the growth is is potentially topping out if they're uh, you know, not having anything better to do to reinvest the earnings um, and then get that higher growth return. Uh, they're looking to just pay it out to shareholders, which 
as Ben mentioned, is the founder. So um, yeah, obviously looking to take some personal income there, of course, and uh, yeah, I guess not seeing the value in, in sort of reinvesting it in the business for a small company like this. Um, in terms of a yield proposition, um, it is it is a decent yield, but then again, so is, so is CSR and the others alike. So mm. we just prefer the bigger names. I think they will report quite well as well. So um, yeah, I just have a hold for this one. Wouldn't be adverse to holding it. That's for sure. You did mention James Hardy. In fact, I think they had some news out overnight. They've uh, inked a deal uh, yeah. out of the States, yeah. which is obviously a positive for them. But once again, I mean, how would you rate James Hardy, for instance? Yeah, strong. Um, obviously, we know it's been a strong performance. It's had some some company-specific issues. And then um, a couple of the most recent report has been quite good. Um, obviously, they gave no financial indications with that announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they haven't come through. Maybe they're going to provide more light on that in the report. So, yeah, it's one that I'd expect to report quite well um, if you get any sort of value opportunities in that prior to report. I think it reports early next week anyway. So yeah. you'll have to be quick. But... Um, yeah, there's a few of these building companies coming out. So you can get a good indication of how they're all going to report from maybe how one reports. Ben, quick thought on James Hardy, any particular view there? Yeah, look, it's a great business. Um, it's really um, dominating its space and it's um, changing the way that builders are building, particularly in America. Where and uh, yeah. How so? Oh, well, the, their particular fibre cement product that mm. they use, it's it's replacing a lot of the boarding and stuff that used to be done in, in America. It's been more the case here for years. Mm. So, you know, it's like Reliance Worldwide is another company that's um, changing the way that plumbers um, use materials in the States. And I think, you know, the concern's always been about the macro backdrop and building, you know, 7.5% interest rates, but it's surprised everyone how well it's held up and is growing. So uh, there's been a lot of eyes, I think, on James Hardy. Everyone recognises it's good business. Um, it did have a big management shake-up, which wasn't a bit unfortunate. Um, previous CEO was very well followed and regarded. Uh, so I think that made everyone a bit nervous, but it looks okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's um, go to a related uh, part of that market with lifestyle communities that's our fourth stock it's a developer operator of land lease villages and i guess concentrating on uh retired and semi-retired people uh and we know of course the growth there given the aging population so josh interested then lifestyle communities what are you seeing in that one at the moment yeah, I think it's uh, a really strong business. The The way that their business model works is they have growing um, annuity income streams from the, the site rental fees as well as management fees of the actual properties too. Um, I'd say it's mid-range after, after being a really strong returner. Uh, they do have a fair amount of debt, so you're almost starting to put it in the REIT category. Uh, they've got about $350 million in debt compared to their net profit, which is around 25 mil. So in comparison to that, um, even in terms of total assets, they've got about a billion in, in, in total assets and yeah, 35% leverage rate. So I think just given uh, if interest rates stay at the current levels for let's say the next nine months, uh, that's gonna you know, continue to put pressure on them. Um, so this one I'd actually uh, put as a sell, noting that it does report on the 16th of August, if anyone's keeping an eye on that. Um, Obviously, we'll get a lot more fundamental update from the company at that stage. Um, so it's always, you know, sort of um, 
somewhat uneducated to sell right before it reports because you've got information from five months ago. Um, but I think just given where it sits in the range at the moment, um, mm. look to take some profits off the table and reassess if, if, if it turns out that the, the report's quite strong and I guess those issues aren't um, impacting the company too much, then um, yeah, great. But I think long term, it's, it's, a, it's a decent position anyway. Yeah, okay. So short term is sell, but mm. it, you see the promise there longer term. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously everyone's been um, positive on the sort of aging population and mm. the way it's doing, uh, the way this business is doing it is in a much more, um, you know, giving giving control to, to, to the uh, actual you know, householder. So I think that that business model works quite well in the future. Um, and I think this one, yeah, over a five, 10 year period will do quite well. Yep. All right. Well, Ben, um, you know, it's often said so you should buy into those products that you use and potentially yeah. that's where we're all going to end up in some Hopefully sort of not using it too soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So what do you think of Livestock Communities? Yeah, I think it's a really high quality business. Um, I'll go a hold just because I, I agree it's kind of mid-range on its, you know, it's trading on 22 times forward. Uh, so it's not cheap. Uh, but the um, the secret that these guys have versus a lot of their counterparts is when they build these kind of communities, whatever you want to call them, they sell off the properties, but they retain the land. And as Josh was saying, they then rent the the property owners rent that land back off lifestyle. The rents are linked to CPI, which helps hedge out some of the interest rate risks that they've got over that debt. And um, the owners of these properties generally qualify for um, the federal government's rental assistance scheme. So your end creditor in a way is the government. Mm. Um, And that means that these um, properties are quite affordable for people to buy because they're not freehold. And uh, it means that this company gets this extraordinary annuity stream, which will continue forever and a day, it would seem. So... Um, it's a great business model and it's a founder-led business again, uh, similar to Big River, uh, where CEO I think is the largest shareholder and um, he's done a great job. So I'll go a hold and it's one that I'll be keeping in a close eye on it when it does report because I've been wanting to buy this business for some time and um, it's yeah one I'd like to get in there. Yeah, all right. Okay, well, let's uh, round out the first half with Pacific Edge. It is a cancer diagnostics uh, company out of New Zealand. It's concentrating on uh, genetic biomarker-based uh, in terms of the detection of, of bladder cancer, essentially offering a di- diagnostic uh, tool there. However, it's run into some problems stateside um, where the Medicare cover of its uh, its test that is offered in the US expected to cease. Um, in fact, I think it already has ceased uh, as of last month. So that, uh, as a result, was a big hit to the share price. Uh, once again, Ben, not one I'm over familiar with. What about you? Ditto. Uh, we have had this one on the call before okay. when I was on. So I did have, so I'm semi-familiar. So they've got a lot of regulatory issues. Mm. Uh, they, they were selling a testing kit. I would say they weren't profitable even when they were selling it. And, you know, I had a quick look at it and the CEO himself in the latest update, and you can see the share price, it's not pretty. Um, said we just don't know what demand is going to look like when people actually have to pay for this test themselves which is what's going to potentially happen so uh, you know I look at the cash it's got a hundred million cash um, so it's well capitalized and the market caps a hundred so you're really paying zero for the business but it is burning cash and 
I'm sure none of these issues that's been facing are cheap. Um, I'm going to go sell just because I think it's way too hard for me. It's not the sort of company we'd invest in. And Even if you held it from earlier there, given what you've lost on it, you'd still just get out. With doesn't you. market doesn't care what you pay for a business? Yeah, well, true. You know, so <laughs> well, you do, what, but yeah. Yeah, well, you do, but. <laughs> You know, it, it could go from 13 to 8 cents. Right. You could still lose half your money from this point. Um, I know a, th- a lesson I've learned way too many times is sell the things that aren't disappointing and stick with the things that are positively surprising you. So yeah, um, I think selling discipline is one of the most important things you can learn in the market. Everyone thing does to do, the isn't opposite. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So no upside that you can see at this point. Josh. Well, that, I yeah. mean, the upside is they take on the regulator and right. they get that decision overturned or the patients actually put their money in their pocket and say, I'll pay for the test and I won't, even though I'm not going to get any money back. Now that might be the case and maybe it's the buy of the century, but I have no idea. Mm. So um, yeah, and I think the CEO even said he doesn't have any ideas. So yep. that tells okay. you something. Josh. Yeah, I think you're betting on the unexpected turnaround. Um, so pretty strong sell for me. Um, I think I think I had it on a little while ago as well, and we spoke about the uncertainty around the revenues with that, um, you know, cease of the the Medicare over in the, um, in the US. Uh, interestingly enough, we were talking a little bit. Um, ben, ben in particular was talking about skin in the game and founder-led businesses. Um, this is probably the opposite example of that. Um, a, a very short time after the company listed on the market, the executive director and CEO at the time stepped down from the board and and the company entirely, um, and they had to bring in a replacement, which I guess is the current CEO. So um, yeah, very little skin in the game from from any of the the management team. It's mainly institutional investors. Um, So yeah, I I think it's the the opposite example of of what you want to look for with these types of businesses. Um, Yeah, very strong sell for us. Yep. Okay. That is a double sell then for Pacific Edge. Let's uh, sum up the first half of the show. Our stock of the day, Janice Henderson, the fund manager there, Josh talking about a solid result, um, which was revealed today. And he's one of his preferred fund managers in that space. He also likes MA Financial. Um, He's got a hold, potentially an accumulate on the stock. Uh, Ben calling it a trading stock. and does mention there's some structural headwinds that a lot of these uh, managers have at the moment. He's got a hold on it. To, uh, to the five stocks as picked by you, uh, the first one being in the retail space, Harvey Norman. Uh, ben talking about screaming value in, in, that he's seeing in that sector at the moment, but, but not with all. He does have a hold on Harvey Norman uh, and also mentioning it's got a, an impressive property portfolio. Um, and uh, Josh saying not his preferred stock there in that he's got an avoid maybe even putting a sell on Harvey Norman. Uh, some of the preferred stocks there are um, Premier Investments and, and JD Hi-Fi among them. Uh, Dare is also in that retail space. Uh, just saying um, he rates it higher than Harvey Norman um, and he has a buy on it, in fact, uh, taking a look at where its value is at the moment. Whereas Ben takes a completely different view. He's got a sell on it. Uh, talking about a high fixed cost there, particularly as far as those leases are concerned, saying it looks cheap, but expecting more weakness given the headwinds that that sector is facing. Big River Industries uh, in the uh, building and construction sector, Ben saying uh, it's got an impressive share registry. Uh, he's got a buy on it, seeing some attractive value there. And uh, Josh saying he put a hold on it. Um, we also spoke about James Hardy 
uh, having uh, come up with a uh, contract deal out of the States at the moment, seeing some good opportunities there for James Hardy, which both like. Lifestyle communities, um, it's a sell from Josh uh, and a hold from Ben. And uh, finally there, Pacific Edge, a double sell. All right, so let's uh, catch up with our own high conviction fund. That's picked by our investment committee. The latest episode is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update going into August, index was replaced by AUB and the committee spent um, on cash, uh, 1% went to each of Seek, Altium and ProMedicus. Checking in on the performance to date, and the fund is up seven and three quarters percent on a cumulative return basis since it we opened it in March last year. All right, so keep your requests coming in. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. So the next stocks we're going to be taking a look at in the second half of the show: Quantum Graphite, Select Harvests, Weebit Nano. Metrics Master Income Trust and Emerald Resources, an eclectic bunch right there. Let's get into Quantum Graphite. Uh, it's a uh, it's based on a graphite deposit in on the Eyre Peninsula in South Australia. Also developing a manufacturing process of graphite-based thermal storage media. This is in terms of uh, battery manufacturing. So. Well, we know uh, what we're seeing in that space at the moment. Ben, um, look, here's another one I'm, I'm not familiar with, but graphite, it is one of those key elements in battery making. So how well yeah. placed then is, is quantum? Look, I'd never heard of this one either. Uh, so take this all with a big grain of salt. Um, graphite, we know, is a very um, critical mineral that is needed for batteries. But for whatever reason, the price of graphite has remained quite soft. And, um, you know, the biggest one in this space is Ciro Resources, um, which has got one of the largest graphite mines globally. And they've actually had to start stockpiling graphite because they said, if we sell it, we're going to be selling at a loss Mm. at the current prices. Um, with this one, I'm going to go a strong sell because um, I had to do a double take when I looked at their cash flow numbers. They've got a million dollars left in cash and they're burning $700,000 a quarter. So um, this is getting, for me, like it's got a $200 million market cap. It's kind of extraordinary. So um, I, I don't quite like without knowing what's going on with their technology they're doing on the manufacturing side and maybe there's a lot of value in that. but. That cash balance is way, way too skinny. So something's got to um, give there. And there are a lot of CapEx costs that they're going to have to try and get this deposit into some sort of production, which I think you're going to find is hard to raise when prices are so soft. So um, yeah, I'll go sell. All right, well, that's not good. Um, for the <laughs> <laughs> hey, but the well, share price is strong, so... Well, at least you, and you fear not, that yeah. the day will come, but of course, is it going to make it? Well, to me, I mean, I... With graphite, I mean, I'm talking about the graphite story. Yeah, the, the graphite story should stick up, but yeah, it, 300 grand left, it may be in the bank. Yeah, yeah, is, um, it's going to run out of time, run well, out of runway. It's going to run out of money. Uh, okay, Josh? Yeah, obviously you can tell from the, I guess, the share price, take, take, take that as, I guess, how good the projects are. 
Seems like it's uh, you know quite a strong area. They've got some interesting partnerships, spent a bit of time just trying to work out what this company does first and foremost. Um, they've got some strong partnerships which will allow them to sort of service the energy storage and, and lithium areas of the market as well. So they've got a lot of uh, those sort of joint ventures that they're working on too. Um, yeah, definitely noted the, the, the one quarter left that they've got um, and that was about a month ago. So you're expecting something very soon from the company. Uh, they have been doing some presentations at um, one of the other uh, large broking firms. So I suspect that's where they're going to get the capital raising done through. Um, so I think I think they'll be able to, to raise the capital, um, obviously noting that particular broking houses sort of um, positivity towards the, the subsector, um, but no need to buy if you know the cap raise is coming. And we see this from a lot of exploring companies at the moment, um, you know, shareholders just sort of holding back and, and the share price drifting lower and lower and lower, um, knowing that the company, it's, it's not, uh, you know, there's, there's a part of the report that says that they've got 1.2 quarters left of, left of cash. So, you know, you can work out pretty easily that they're going to need to do a capital raise very shortly. Um, and then I guess people are holding off on buy, everyone holds off on buy, the company drifts lower, they go into a cap raise at a lower price. Um, so, yeah, I think you'd hold off um, until that cap raise flushes out. Obviously, there's a dilutionary effect that comes from that. If you're a holder and you like the company long term, because it's obviously served you really quite well, maybe you hold to take up a share purchase plan that the company might offer um, or an entitlement raise or whatever it may be. Um, so I think, yeah, if, I think this one's a hold. Yep. Okay. All right. Bit of a diversity of opinion there again for quantum graphite. All right, let's move on to Select Harvest. Uh, it is in the almond space. In fact, it's Australia's largest almond grower and processor. Apparently, it's the third largest in the world. Uh, however, it saw a 11 plus percent decline in revenue, uh, a loss after tax of more than 96 million most recently. Uh, and that was given the almond price had collapsed. Uh, and also, uh, what we saw last year's crop was bad uh, given weather. I don't know whether that's likely to pick up given what we're seeing now. Mm. Um, so Josh, once again, these ag stocks, Yeah, it's a difficult space to be in, isn't it? You're at the- Yeah, well, the this, is, this is a really good example of, I guess, why it should be down um, in the ag space. You know, they wiped off nearly $100 million um, and about 40% of their um, total uh, crop inventories and, and volumes. Um, you know, there's still, I guess, weather issues in the US, um, potentially, you know, this was from flooding. It was also from uh, an extended period of sort of um, wet conditions. So um, yeah, it looks like that's not likely to change in, in, in the northern part of the world. Um, during that time, they also came under pressures with the higher uh, fertilizer costs. That's probably not gonna go away anytime soon. Um, noting, I guess, the Ukraine issues. They also racked up some higher debt in that meantime. So um, yeah, I think uh, they've got a, a range of issues um, at the moment. Um, the company is sort of highlighting that that $100 million tax, uh, tax loss is a good thing. So uh, yeah, uh, some, some warning signs there. The, the, the company thinks that the, the net um, asset value is around $6, current share price is four. So I think 
Um, there will be a turnaround at some stage if, if that NAV stays, stays at those elevated levels, but um, I just haven't seen any confirmation for that turnaround and don't particularly like being subject to uh, weather risks on, a, on an investment. So I think I just avoid this one. Um, maybe if you're a, you know, sort of a holder, you can look to hold and wait for that, that um, recovery. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't be allocating into this one just yet anyway. Yep, okay, Ben. Yeah, I'll go hold. Um, agricultural stocks, they're so hard. Like look mm. at Costa Group and the, the runs that it's had. We had another one, Vital Harvest. Um, there's just so many different variables where you can get six right, but one goes wrong and it can just knock the profit out for the year. You know, fertilizer prices and all these sort of things. So the, the reason I'd say a hold though is... Um, I think an El Nino is good for it. Uh, so, with, you know, the wet weather that they've had is not great for growing almonds and they're going to go into much hotter, drier conditions going forward. That is that what you need for almonds, is it? Because I think potentially, so. yeah. uh, even though it hasn't been declared here, it has been declared globally. Yeah. I mean, it could be an oppressively hot summer potentially yeah. moving into drought again. Yeah, but then you get the problem with maybe the water prices go through the roof because you still do need water. Um, fires you know like that's had big issues um in those north american climates in the past so and then what do the actual price of the almonds do if growing conditions are great is the almond price weak because there's so much supply of it in the short term it's just so hard but i like i do think that these to me these businesses should just be unlisted i think um that it's not appropriate this short-term movements the market can't cope with them and Mm. um I think there is value in the assets. We know that agricultural has actually been a really good performing space in unlisted markets over the last five years. And they have had that nasty couple of year period. So potentially it's kind of when you should get interested in it, but I can't, so I'll, I'll say hold. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's move now into tech. Um, and we're gonna take a look at Weird Nano. Uh, semiconductor IP company. In fact, it's based in Israel. That's where it was founded and uh, develops technologies. Um, well, you guys might be able to explain it better than I, but non-volatile <laughs> memory for the semiconductor industry. I don't exactly know what that means, um, Ben. I know that uh, I remember talking to Carl Cavalinga on this one because uh, the stock went ballistic uh, up until about March and uh, he sold it at just the right time, of course, based on his charting. And since then, it's sort of pretty much leveled off, but it has appreciated enormously well. Yeah, it's been an extraordinary ride. Um, this is a one I think ever befuddles everyone because no one really understands what they do do. And <laughs> yeah. it's got a billion dollar market capitalization. So it's got to do something pretty extraordinary to warrant that. It doesn't sell anything at the moment. So it's, I think the test is very soon coming as to, you know, saying it's getting into commercialization phase now so what do the sales look like i'm going to go sell um you know we've seen a few of these like um i think brain chip was another one and there's been a couple of others which just had extraordinary rises they're not owned by institutions um so i think it's retail that is pushing it around and um look i I, we've had this one on the show before and i'd say the same thing is we might look back and say that this company had some phenomenal technology that none of us understood and it actually was real and it's worth multiples of what it is trading at today or um, it was all hype and it's 
But the fact you've office. highlighted that it's retail driven, not in institutional, does yeah. that raise an alarm bell then? Because you would assume that the you know the institutions have at least done their homework. Yeah, right? it does raise the alarm bells. And as soon as it went into the, um, I think it went into the ASX 200 or 300 recently, all this shorting started. Mm. And that's the professionals, they finally got stock that they can access to short because it starts when it goes into the, I know everyone says, oh, it's great, it's going to an index. It actually can not be great mm. because that's the time the pros go, right, the um, ETFs are all forced to buy it. They lend out that stock, they don't care. And suddenly there's stock accessible that you can start to short. And I think ever since this one has gone into the index, it started dropping. Mm. So that's a red flag as well. Yeah, okay. It's got 90 million in cash, I should say. And it's right. burning 6 million a quarter. So that's good. Um, it's got plenty of cash and um, it doesn't need to worry about raising for some time. But I just don't know. Um, but it's not like this hasn't been discovered. <laughs> Billion dollar market cap series. But, but as you say, I guess if you don't understand it, then avoid it. Yeah. Josh. I think it's uh, speculative whichever way you go. Um, yeah, I guess the, the size of the company, given they haven't made revenues yet, does seem like it's, it's, it's moving into the commercialization now. Um, you know, it does have a lot of applications to a lot of different areas, power management, automotive, the medical industries. Um, but I think, yeah, I guess given that uh, they are well capitalized, I'd, I'd be okay to potentially ride the momentum um, of a spec buy. Um, but again, I'd treat it more as a trading stock. Um, if it is retail dominated, then it does mean it can make money um, quite quickly. So you can get in on that momentum and then look to obviously trade it uh, quite actively. But yeah, it wouldn't fit our criteria from uh, investment grade. Um, it's not something we'd look to you know, take up a sizable allocation in portfolios on. Um, but I, I wouldn't be adverse if, if some client you know, sort of believes in it and they understand it and they, they, they're happy to sort of ride out that uh, volatility, then uh, yeah, I'd pop it as a spec buy. All right. And do we know, why is it listed here, given it's based and founded in Israel? Why have they picked Australia? Good question. Not, not entirely sure either. Right, <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot and, of unknowns. There's, more a, there's there. another one, like there's Audio Pixels is another one, which I think there's this, this like intrigue around and you see these really crazy share price movements, big market cap, company keeps saying it's going to be selling things and it keeps getting pushed out. Um, so I'm not sure. Yep. All right. Right, let's move on to uh, our ninth stock, Metrics Masters Income Trust. Uh, it has two listed investment trusts, uh, the Opportunities Trust and the Income Trust. Uh, it's selling, basically gives you access to those private market loans, um, essentially. Uh, here's another one I don't really haven't come across before either. Uh, Josh, what about you? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised um, looking into this one. Um, I think the company has a good um, sort of value add to to clients looking to add this to put their portfolio. So um, yeah, basically private debt for us has become quite an attractive asset um, given the high interest rate environment and that's expected to continue for quite some time. So I think a combination of the, the, the sort of private debt um, over sort of private equity at the moment is, is much more favorable as, as, a, as a portion of the portfolio. What these guys seem to do is to have uh, really strong relationships with the company and I guess um, the, the debt holders that they do and, and sort of 
um, almost offer advice on, on, on the best way to structure that. Um, it doesn't move around much in terms of the share price, as you can see there, um, but it's paid out a, about an 8% yield on, on current levels. So um, yeah, I think if you're, if you're looking for some diversification amongst your assets, whilst also having the flexibility to buy an ASX uh, listed entity, let's call it, um, this is great and it adds an 8% yield to your portfolio. So I'd have this one as a buy actually. Yeah, okay, interesting. Ben? I'll go hold like, yeah, it's, it, I mean, the best way to think about it is a, it's a listed investment company effectively. Mm. And the only thing I don't, the reason I don't have it as a buy is um, I just don't like that in downturns, it can completely disconnect from its asset backing. And you saw in the chart there, um, there's been a couple of times. Now I would say, if you see another one like that, that is the time to buy it. Um, you know, if you can buy $2 of um, assets for $1.60, and these are metrics, I would say they're really good managers. I've, I've met them a couple of times. They're good quality um, people. They're actually in the property space. They're the largest lender to the property sector in Australia after the big four banks. Right. So they're not, they're a big player and um, I think they get some good terms because they are such a big player, it's a scale game. But you're paying asset backing at the moment and that would be the reason I'd have a hold. But you know, they've, they've got a target on this fund of like 3.25 plus the RBA cash rate. I think they've been doing better than that, um, which is why that yield's been better. So yeah, uh, nothing to criticize, but maybe just the timing. All right. Well, that's a buy and a hold then for metric master income. Uh, all right, let's round out. We're into uh, the resources space and uh, it's Emerald Resources, uh, explorer and developer of gold projects. Uh, it is based in Perth, but its project is in Cambodia and um, selling itself really as a, well, recognized as a low profile uh, gold producer, uh, high asset quality with low costs. That's certainly what you want to see, I guess, as far as uh, gold producers are concerned. And we've seen how some of them have been hit just recently with the production updates that costs have been hurting them. So Ben, how do you view Emerald Resources? Yeah, this is another one I had on the show last time I was on. So I've gone back to my notes from there. Um, they own a, a gold mine in Cambodia. Uh, I think these guys have got a really well recognized and followed management team by the fundies. The fundies tend to follow proven operators and if they go on to the next company they can very quickly you look at what Bill Beaumont's doing at the moment in um, DVP it's a good example um, I think the attraction with this asset is the, the low cost you're talking about there Andrew it's like producing it like $800 a ton uh, sorry $800 an ounce so very low cost very profitable it is a short mine life though and I'll have it as a whole because um, it's only got a seven-year mine life left um, they've got plenty of cash uh, and they do have some interest in, um, in an upcoming potential deposit in West Australia. But what they're trying to do at the moment, I, I think, is they're trying to extend the, the life of that asset. So drilling around it to try and broaden it out. Because um, once you've already got all the infrastructure in there, to add on additional ounces doesn't cost a lot um, to get it going. So if they can have some um, exploration success around it, and they could push that out to 10 or 15 years, mm. it's, it's a buy. Um, but until you start to see those results come through, I, I'd probably go hold now. Any issue with sovereign risk in Cambodia? I, I would have thought so, yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know how significant. And, and when we take a look at these gold stocks, are you perhaps more for, I don't know whether you, you're, you hold any, but um, are you more interested perhaps in 
it's cost based rather than the actual gold price. Uh, yeah, I, definitely. I mean, we don't own any gold stocks. I'm I'm bearish on gold because I'm I think we're in a bull market, and I think the having money in like sort of hiding away, particularly in a high interest rate environment, to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, uh, margins are important, and mm. I can tell you the market will pay much higher prices for the much lower cost things. It, You've got to remember, like if gold's at 1900, it can easily drop back to 15, 1600 potentially. Um, and with cost pressures coming through and currencies moving around, profitable mines can quickly become unprofitable. So um, the market will, or investors will always pay up for the businesses that are going to earn a profit through the cycles. Josh. Yeah, drew, drew a similar analysis. Um, you know, we've had a lot of. Um, pretty negative results on the back of the, the gold miner updates. Um, mm. You know, a good example of that is, is Regis Resources. Um, you know, we talked about the, you know, let's just say the gold price is around 2000. Um, they've got an all-in sustaining cost of 1900 um, Aussie dollars moving to 2100 over the next year or two. So their costs are going to increase um, and that could entirely just evaporate their profit margins. Whereas with these guys, um, you know, switching to US dollars, um, their, you know, all-in sustaining costs are just under 800 an ounce, um, and they were able to sell it nearly at 2,000 an ounce. Um, you know, even if you just assume that they're, they're going to make around 1,000 an ounce um, on that margin, they are forecast to do 100,000 um, ounces in FY24. So there's 100 million that you can, um, you know, pretty safely uh, without too much variability say is going to come into the company. They've got $90 million um, in bank. Um, so yeah, that's going to probably move to, to 190. So there's no cap raise needed for them, no dilution needed. Obviously, they're at the later stages of their um, exploration so be a hold based on the fact that you've sort of missed the story already mm. unfortunately with this one um, great great story of what you want to look for in I guess these early exploring um, companies but yeah this is a, a case study now rather than an investment at the moment what what's your broader outlook on gold then or on those gold stocks I mean you're holding mm. any at the moment uh, not at the moment um, I think there, there was uh, potentially some value, but over the last couple of couple of weeks, the, the market's really shifted to more positivity. So again, um, we'll slowly start to unwind our defensive positions and get those more positive linked to the market. You know, buying things like the, the credit funds, which can pay you 8%, um, you know, corporate bonds that can pay you around that as well. So um, yeah, I'd rather have those defensive plays rather than, than a gold defensive play at the moment. Yeah, further that, it's interesting what we saw overnight, in fact, with that, uh, in response to that Fitch uh, downgrade of US yeah. credit, I think gold bounced for about five minutes and then um, the market looked elsewhere. And yeah. <laughs> well, it's also at- like the, the, the argument at the start of the year was own gold because in an inflationary environment it does well yep. and that's true but Didn't you know, in Canada the inflation rate's now 2.7 in America it's 3 mm. it's coming off so rapidly everywhere across the world that it seems like the gold bulls they, they always find excuse you know another, there'll be another reason why you want to be in gold but I just can't see it like if you you know like Josh is saying you can get eight, 7 8% in high quality paper like gold there's not a return that it's going to give you other than the capital growth. Yep, no yield there whatsoever. All right, uh, let's sum up the uh, second half of the show then. Quantum graphite. Uh, ben, 
quite adamant here, a strong sell. Uh, pointing out that it is burning cash with only about a million left on its balance sheet and it needs more uh, capex. So that uh, it's coming to a crunch point there. Uh, Josh pointing out, look, it, is, it does have a strong project there uh, and is expecting a cap raise is, is imminent. He's got a hold on the stock. Uh, Select Harvest, the ag stock there in the almonds, uh, obviously, you know, the weather issues um, and uh, the high input costs, particularly with fertilizer. Josh has a hold on it, as does Ben. Uh, Weebit Nano, the uh, Israeli-based uh, semiconductor IP company, uh, which is a bit mysterious, really. Um, as we were talking about why it's listed here, no one really knows. Uh, but it is a sell from Ben and a spec buy from Josh. And uh, Metric Master Income Trust to buy from Josh. Uh, looking at 8% yield there, diversification that it offers. And Ben pointing out uh, that uh, as good managers, well respected in the industry has got a hold on it. And finally, the Emma Resources. It is a hold from both in the gold space. All right, that is our show. Thanks to our guest, Ben. Thanks for joining us in Team as Capital. Thanks for having me. And Josh from Macro. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. All right. And of course, any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.